what I'm doing today uh, that Pastor Landon asked me to do is thirsting for God. So we'll be in Psalm 63, but before we do that, just keep your thumb there, or if you have a smart device, you're kind of cheating, but that's all right. Um, we're going to be going first to um, the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 10 to 11. So Acts chapter 17, verses 10 to 11. And if you get there, you know what to say. God is good. <laughs> okay. So God is good. Indeed he is. So I, I just wanted to share this. It's just a very short devotion that I had, and I have been inspired um, by a, a mentor I had. He was a father figure, a mentor. Um, he passed away last year, but he incited in me the idea to be curious, not about everything, but curious about the Word of God. And Paul and Silas, they were like, Paul mostly was new into his ministry, but Silas was pretty much more uh, versatile and more experienced in what he was doing. But as we read in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 to 11, which I'll read with you here. <clears throat> so Acts chapter 17, verses 10 to 11 says, as soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were of, no, of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they, were, since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So the idea of being curious is my mentor, Heath, Perry said, be like Bereans. First of all, they were noble of character, which means they were better than the people in Thessalonica. So being of noble character is emulating who Christ is. And also they were of noble character, uh, not noble character, they, were, they had eagerness um, of the word. And to be eager is to have the willingness to learn. So like when you guys come here, it's like you have the eagerness to learn more of what you've learned during the week because you're just not opening the Bible just today because, you know, you've been opening it maybe Monday, Tuesday, and other days. So when you come here, you have eagerness, and that's how the Bereans were. And better, they, were, they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So Heath always said, be a Berean because of this. And also the Bible is saying, because the Bereans examined the scriptures daily because Paul was not like well-versed yet. So they had to go do their homework, come back, and be like, actually, Paul, you were right about this. And that's something I want us as a fellowship to practice is to go and examine the scriptures for ourselves and just be curious about the word, you know, and uh, just don't assume. And, you know, we have the word. A lot of people in different countries don't have what we have. And... If you're curious, it's just, it's just amazing how intertwined the Bible is. You know, you go to the Old Testament and you see something happening, and in the New Testament it's, it's shown, and the book of Hebrews is notorious for this. 
and I feel like the he the guy who wrote Hebrews in the, now he'll probably, probably be copyrighted for stuff that you brought out of the Old Testament. So just be curious. And so I just want to just share that. And we all have ways of how we learn and how we're curious about God's word. And if you need help, you know, we're here for you. The fellowship is here for you to be eager to learn. Amen? Amen. All right, now we're going to Psalm 63, thirsting for God. So for those who know me, before I go deep into uh, Psalm 63, so uh, Pastor Landon just gave me a header of thirsting for God, and I could have done a topical, but I just said, you know what, I'm just going to do the whole uh, chapter. But I'm not going to read the whole thing because it has 11 verses. I'm just going to stop at verse 8 because... 9, 10, and 11, not, not to say I don't have like, relevance in the whole chapter, it's just the, the most part of what I want to pick out is just the first eight verses. And I just want to give you context of what's happening here. So I think some of your Bibles say uh, it's a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. However, there's two arguments that scholars have. Uh, the first argument is, this is the time David was fleeing from Saul, King Saul. If you remember, um, King Saul was jealous about David because Samuel anointed him as king. And um, so Saul was just jealous that David was going to take over and reign. But we all know where David's heart was. He didn't want that to happen. But So Saul was pursuing David. So some scholars think David was in the wilderness in this time period. But other scholars think this was when David was king, but his son Absalom um, banished him. If you remember the story of David and his son Absalom, um, David had many siblings with many wives, and um, one of David's sons slept with one of David's daughters, and Absalom was upset because of that, because uh, David wasn't really a father that like, put justice for that. So Absalom was so mad that he, he kind of took over the throne and he banished David. So some scholars think this is where David uh, was. So it's, there's the two debates, but the point I want to say is David is in the wilderness. And uh, verses 9, 10, and 11 kind of talk about him being king, probably him looking to the future of being king and him being king while he was banished. So I just want to put a context in there so like we, we know what's going on. I just like to set the scene, kind of like a movie. So, <clears throat> but we as Christians sometimes, we experience uh, this wilderness. It, it's not to say that, you know, you're living in like in the Middle East where it's desert all around you. I mean, that can happen, but you can have spiritual drought where uh, it just feels like God's not near uh, anything you do, it just feels like you're not pushing forward. And it's normal to feel like this because sometimes as Christians, we think uh, we always have to have this high of always having this encounter with God himself. But sometimes it's okay that we go through these wilderness times. And one thing that helps me whenever I'm going through this is Christ himself was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years before he actually led the Israelites out of Egypt, and we have no idea what he did for those 40 years, but he was in the wilderness. 
And I myself, I, f I feel like I've been in this wilderness period for over a year after my mentor passed away last year. But through that, the times I've had with the Lord is sweet. And Psalm 63 in particular, will, it helps you step by step of what to do when you're in this wilderness times. Okay? So I'm going to read um, Psalm 63 verses 1 till 8. And I'm reading from the uh, Christian Standard Bible. I like the New King James Version, but uh, I think you guys can adjust to that. So here we go. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. Some versions say my soul thirsts for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love, some versions say your loving kindness, is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me. You satisfied me as with rich food, some versions say marrow and fat. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you as I lay on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I will follow close to you. Your right hand upholds me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray and just say thank you for who you are and what you have done for us. It's such a privilege to call you Abba, Father. Lord, we always encounter times of wilderness where you feel so far away. We pray, we cry, we weep towards you, and sometimes we feel ourselves with things that we do not need because in times of wilderness, we, we run to other things that can satisfy. But so many times, um, those things cannot. Only you can satisfy our, our soul and our spirit and even our flesh. So as we come before you today, I just pray that you will help me deliver your word and just empty me out and fill me with your spirit. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 1, David says, God, you are my God. Before I even go before that, David is saying, God, you are my God. I mean, when you read it on first glance, you know, it doesn't really make sense. It's saying, God, you are my God. But when I dug deep into the Hebrew here, uh, so God, David is saying Elohim. And Elohim is when you go back to uh, Genesis, it talks about God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know, God the Father is the head, head of the triune God. Um, God the Father sent God the Son to die for our sins so we can be redeemed. And then uh, God the Holy Spirit, after Jesus died, that's the helper he sent for us so we can have communion with God. So the Holy Spirit is like the glue that binds all us together. But David is saying, Elohim, you are my God. And he's saying the second God is because it's so easy because at this time, even though David was king, there was still idolatry happening. So he's saying, God, you are my God. God. And easily, sometimes we think worshiping idols, which is obvious, is just not a, an object of worship, but sometimes the idol can be in our hearts. 
So in a sense, in this time of dry and pasture land where David is not feeling anything, he's saying, God, you are my God. And he says, I eagerly seek you. Some versions say, early in the morning I seek you. And there can be arguments for both where uh, to, to seek him in the, early in the morning can pretty much talk for itself. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you, see, you pray and you seek the Lord. But sometimes in times of when you're in a wilderness time, it's hard to do that. But I like this version that says eagerly because it's not always in the morning that you want to pray. But the eagerness is whenever you're feeling anxious or you're angry or you're frustrated. Right then and then, you seek the Lord. And David eagerly seeks the Lord in times of spiritual doubt. Um, and the word eagerly it's, means it's characterized with um, keen, keen interest. And we all have skills that we have learned over the years to get us to where we are. It can be being a mother, being a father, um, preaching like I am right now, you know, music. This took me years to learn. But because I had such interest in it, I was eager to learn. And I did everything I could. I used the internet. I used books. I acquired from people. Even everyone else in here, whenever we want to do something, we, we eagerly search, you know, like, when you have homework, you know, you eagerly search your test book um, to find the answer. And, and for me personally, when I want to learn something, I go out of my way to learn it. And the same energy and the same um, dedication that we put into learning skills and sets, David is putting that to eagerly seek the Lord. And Believe me, when you put that energy to eagerly seek the Lord, like how you do in other things to attain a skill, you will find him. And, um, and it's something that I, that I encourage is transform that eagerness in this time of wilderness whenever you're experiencing that and turn it to the Lord. And we don't necessarily see the Lord like physically, but he shows us who he is through Christ and through his word. So if you eagerly seek him like David, you will find him. And Jesus says this best in Matthew uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 7. You don't have to turn that with me. I'll just read it for you. David, uh, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. I don't have to elaborate any more on that. Be curious about the word. Read it for yourself, and let the Holy Spirit guide you. Pretty much be like the Bereans. So to go on, David says, I thirst for you. Uh, I like the New King James Version that says, my soul thirsts for you. The soul is the embodiment of the intellect and the will, you know, the drive to push you. But sometimes when we're in this desert time and wilderness period, we fill our minds with things that we think will fill us, but it doesn't. But this time David is realizing that his soul thirsts for the Lord. And he goes to say, my body faints for you in a land, in a, in a land that is dry, desolate, without water. Um, the body is something that we struggle with, 
but to say my body faints for you in a way it's showing God's reverence because when you read in scripture every time someone sees God for who he is what happens they hit the deck you know and that's what David is saying because David has read the scriptures and he understands because his body faints for the Lord moving on to verse 2 so when you eagerly seek the Lord and you find him because your soul thirsts for him, you will find him. And this is what happens. This is what David says. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. David was such a skilled man. Uh, he was very diplomatic. He, he read poems. He was a singer. He was, he was a like a strategist, he was just gifted in everything. And one of the things he loved to do was to worship the Lord. He liked to sing songs to the Lord. And I remember uh, King Saul had like some kind of possession or some kind of spiritual thing going on. And King Saul um, asked David to come play the lyre for him. And so David was gifted and he knew and understood what true worship was um, to the Lord. And when David conquered Jerusalem, and made it the capital um, of Israel, finally the Ark of the Covenant was able to come to Jerusalem. And David pretty much made a parade to just let everyone know the Ark of the Covenant is here. Finally, we can build the temple and have God be in our presence. And David loved to worship God so much that he danced. It was probably like a 15-mile stretch of just this parade to a point where he, all his clothes came off and all he had is his underwear. And he just loved to worship the Lord. And, and why I'm saying this is because David knew that when God's presence came to the sanctuary where the Ark of the Covenant was, that was the only place you could experience God's glory and his presence. But David is in the wilderness. He's exiled, or as other scholars would say, he's being pursued by Saul. But he's saying, I gaze on you in the sanctuary where I see your strength and glory, but yet God's presence is supposed to be at the temple. David knew that God was omnipresent and that he was everywhere. And we make assumptions whenever we're in a wilderness state that we can only meet God at specific places. Like if I go here, he will be, he, his presence will be more heavier here. Or if I come to church, he'll be more here. But God is omnipresent. He actually meets us where we are. And that's what David realized here. And moving on, it says, in the sanctuary to see your strength. God's strength is the ability for our Lord to save us when we are in desperate need. And God's glory. I, I just love talking about God's glory. Um, just a question. How did God show his glory in the Bible anyway? Any references you can think of? Pillow of fire. Uh, one can be a rainbow, you know. And all of it, when God like, like shows his glory to us, it's beauty. It's something beautiful. And beauty kind of brings definition to a meaning that you are wrestling with. That's why whenever you're distraught, you're sad, sometimes you just want to watch a nice movie. You want to read nice literature. You want to just go watch a waterfall and you're just like, ah, this is beautiful because you had, you had, beauty brought you definition to a meaning. And God's 
Glory is beauty displayed so we are in awe. So when whenever you see God, he's so beautiful because, you know, he, his, his creation is an extension of his creativity. So whenever you see God in his true form, you're such in awe that all you can do is glorify God. And that's why we were created. And David knew that. That's why our purpose is, is to glorify God because he is a beautiful God. God is good. Moving on to verse 3. So, before we go to verse 3, after you have experienced God for who he is, all we want to do is just glorify him, even though we're in this season of drought. And this is what David says in verse 3. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. Um, I like the King James Version that says... Um, Loving kindness. Uh, loving kindness is a word. The Hebrew word is hesed. Hesed means it's like a type of love. But when you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, uh, I'll go there. You don't have to. Uh, if You can just jot it down in your notes and go back later. Uh, so 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 9. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9. To give context here, what's happening is Paul has a thorn in his flesh, and he begged God three times to take it away from him. And God says, no, I'm not going to take it from you. But this is what God replies to him. God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is is perfected in weakness. So where God says my grace, that word grace is also said, which is in the book of Psalm called loving kindness. And I remember when I was in crew, uh, when someone asked me, what is grace? I, I just, I, I, I wrestled with it. And the best answer I could say, grace is an undeserved gift, which is right, you know, because we're saved by grace. But it's, it's, it's deeper. Um, when, when God was talking to Paul, in here, grace is more of an empowerment. Um, because sometimes God can, can call you to do something. But when he shows it to you, and a, big, a very good example is um, Joshua, where God called Joshua to lead the Israelites um, to go to the promised land. I have a feeling Joshua didn't feel adequate enough to do what God called him. So that's why God told Paul that my grace is sufficient for you. And that word grace is an empowerment to do what God has called you to do. And um, at times, God's grace is needed for us to go through the wilderness, to empower us um, to just go through the wilderness. And sometimes wilderness can be just different things. Sometimes you're just going through it. It can be an illness that you're experiencing that puts you in a wilderness state. You know, like me, a lost mem uh, loved one. But you pray for God to, to show you grace and, uh, you know, amazing grace. And that's what David is saying here. And he goes on to say, your faithful love is better than life. And this word life, in the, in, actually in the, in the Greek, 
it means bios. And in the Hebrew, it kind of means the same thing. And this word bios is where we get the word biology, and which biology is the study of life. So because David has experienced God's loving kindness, he's saying, what I've experienced of you is way better than life itself, because God gives us life. And even in this time of desert and wilderness, David is still saying, your loving kindness is better than life. It's better than what I'm going through right now because you know God who is all-powerful and all-knowing knows why he's going through this. Moving on to verse 4. David goes on to say, So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name I will lift up my hands. So to bless is to bestow good of any kind upon an individual. Isn't God good to be to bestow goodness unto him? And David is just blessing the Lord and thanking him just for him just being human and just being there. And David is just so glad that he knows the Lord and he's giving him all the blessing, praise, and all the glory. And David says, at your name, I will lift up my hands. And when you read scripture, there's always a lot of lifting hands, you know. And I remember when I was a kid, you know, I always asked my mom, like, why do we lift up our hands? And I always thought it was like to get better, re like, reception, you know, like a phone tower. <laughs> and, uh, but, and I, I feel like all I've had, like, a better, uh, like, advantage in each and every one of because I have longer arms. But it's, <laughs> but. I mean, it might work, I guess, but it's lifting of hands is to show surrender, you know, because what happens when someone is put at gunpoint? They raise their hands, you know, it's to show that you are in my, like the person who's pointing the gun at you, or, you know, it's to show that I am unarmed and I am at your mercy. And that's why we raise our hands is to show God, like, what I have right now, what I'm looking forward to, it's not in my hands, it's in your hands. And, <clears throat> and giving up yourself is to show powerlessness because God has all the power. And God loves us to mold, God, God loves to mold vessels that show least resistance. Because like a potter, when a potter is molding clay, imagine if that clay was fighting back, you know, it would be so hard, but because the clay is being what it's meant to be, which is just clay that's being molded, it doesn't fight back, and the potter makes it this beautiful vase, you know, that when you put it somewhere, you're like, wow, that looks amazing, and that's what God is doing to us. So when, when, when you bless the Lord and you lift up your hands to show surrender, you're telling God that I have no control over this. I want you to take, um, take my life. And that's one of the reasons why God brought the Holy Spirit. I was talking to Wes yesterday, uh, the guys when we met. Um, I, I'm not a fan of like, the electric part of engineering. I really struggle with that. But something that really helped me bring it back to the gospel was electricity flows um, Electricity flows and like current is what flows to get, like, get the lights and everything. And current flows through the path of least resistance. So 
in a circuit like this at church, we have bulbs, we have TVs, speakers, you know, um, just everything, and those create resistance. But current is still flowing, but it's been re like resistance, and it's not flowing at the same speed it's supposed to do. So whenever you show surrender to the Lord, you're taking away all these resistors, like you're taking away the TV, you're taking away the speakers, so when the Holy Spirit that is current flows through you, because when we have these distractions in our lives, the Holy Spirit still works through us, but he's not, we're not giving him full access and full power to literally flow through us. But when you take away all these resistors, like the TVs, the bulbs, and everything, and this has been tested with, with, with electricity, the current flows so fast that's actually calculated to be the speed of light. That's how fast current flows. And that's who the Holy Spirit is. If you take away all the resistors in your life that is, are resisting him from molding you to what he wants you to be, it's going to be hard for the current to flow. But if you allow him to mold you, to shape you, to show you, there's a verse that I, I, I'm not sure where it is in the book of Psalms where David says, search my heart, O God, know me. I'm so afraid to pray that prayer because I have a feeling God is going to show me all the gunk that I have to deal with. And it's just, and that's why David shows absolute surrender. And there's a hymn, and that I just, I just love hymns. That's why I'm, I'm so grateful Amber was able to help me because it's hard for me to like memorize hymns. But there's one I remembered when I was a kid, and this hymn called is called "All to Jesus I Surrender." I'm not sure if you guys know this hymn, but I love this hymn. It says, "All to Jesus I surrender, all to Thee I freely give." I will ever love and trust you in your presence daily live. And the chorus says, I surrender all, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Verse 5, I will satis you satisfy me as rich food. Or some people, uh, uh, some uh, versions say, as marrow and fat. And when you read this, you're like, in nowadays, it's like, that is so unhealthy. Uh, like marrow and fat, you know, it's like, why do you eat that? But David is, David is talking about times in, in, the, in the past. Uh, like in the Levitical law, whenever um, a, a, a sacrifice was brought, a portion of it was given to the priests, and the priests kind of ate that. And at that time, for some reason, they just liked the fat of of the uh, like of the sacrifice that was brought. And if you remember really well, in First uh, Samuel, Eli, when uh, Samuel was brought to the sanctuary, you remember what what happened with them because they were eating a lot of the fat. They were overweight. You remember that? They were actually. You can go read this for yourself. Eli and his sons were kind of overweight because they were eating a lot of the. Um, like the marrow and the fatness from the cow, and they were, it's, it's filling, it's satisfying. And right now, there's a food that I like to enjoy. It's like, it's, it's pho, and pho is like marrow that has been boiled for like 72 hours, and it's rich and nutritious. And that's what David is saying, like, you satisfy me with marrow and fatness. It's like the richness of foods. And... Um, <clears throat> And the soul, sometimes we think the soul, it's hard to satisfy the soul. 
but God himself can satisfy the soul. And David knew of this, actually. If I'm, I'm going to read Psalm uh, 61, uh, no, Psalm 16, verses 11. You don't have to turn it. You can just jot it down in your notes. But if you want to turn there with me, you're more than welcome to. So Psalm 16, verse 11. So this was written by David as well, where it says, You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundance of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And this word pleasures, think about any pleasures that you have had that you feel like it was the best thing you've ever had. David is saying those pleasures we've had here on earth is nothing comparable to what is in the presence of the Lord. And this is what David is saying, that my soul will be satisfied with marrow and fatness is because in your presence there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And that's why God wants us to be with him in heaven and just to reveal his ways to us because he knows what can truly satisfy us. That is him himself, and that's why he created us. And because David says that you satisfy me with marrow and fat, David continues to say in verse 5, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Um, despite us having difficulty with why we're in this wilderness state, um, it is good like David, where he says that my lips will praise you, because in the book of James, you know, it talks about, you know, our lips praise the Lord, but sometimes we use those same lips to curse at someone else. But if we're created to glorify the Lord and our lips are cursing someone else, it's just, that's like sinful and it goes against the nature of God. And in times of wilderness, you know, instead of praising the Lord with our lips, even though life can be difficult, instead we murmur, we grumble. And instead of murmuring and grumbling and being salty, it, a good thing to do is to lament. And the book of Lamentations, I mean, if you're struggling and you're trying to make your sentence known to the Lord, the book of Lamentations is perfect for that. And Despite difficulty in life, practice to give thanks, rejoice always, pray constantly, for this is the will of God in your life. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 and 18. That's, if, that's a Bible verse I go to every single time whenever I'm in a wilderness state. Verse 6. When I think of you as I lay, lie in my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches. Night watches are, especially in the wilderness time or whenever your mind is just racing, it is so hard to sleep sometimes because the mind is just racing and you can't go to bed and it's hard. And as someone who has dealt with depression before, like sometimes you don't look forward to go to bed because you just know that night is just going to be long. and 
and even get more anxious because you can't sleep because you have to be up early the next morning and you're trying to get yourself to calm down but the more you're being more elevated to stay up at night and sometimes you go to bed at 3 a.m. and you wake up at like 6 and you're just tired and you ask yourself, is this going to go on again? And David, too, dealt with a lot of depression and like the Bible talks about that, too. And how do we combat this? Because sometimes in the wilderness stages, we don't look forward to the night. And sometimes the night terrifies us. And I remember whenever my depression states were really bad, I was always afraid of the night, to like be comfortable in the night. And one thing that gave me comfort about the night is God created day and God created night. They're both the same. And one thing I've learned is I've, I've learned to relish in the dark because that time like people are, it's quiet, it's not noisy, and that's the perfect time to seek the Lord. Whenever you have sleepless nights, this is what David says, I, I remember you upon my bed, or to think of the Lord. This is to reminisce of his goodness towards you. What good thing has God done in the past that gives you assurance for today? Sometimes in the difficult times, like me, like when I went through this wilderness time, sometimes all you can think is, give us this day our daily bread. And God is good. And so whenever those watches of the night come where your mind is racing, first you meditate, uh, no, you, you, you think of God's goodness, what God has done for you. And then David goes on to say in verse 6, I meditate on you. Um, to meditate, it's not like the Eastern religion where you empty your mind, but then the problem with just emptying your mind and not filling it with something else is something else comes in it. You know, remember Jesus said whenever you cast out a demon and you don't fill it up with something else, seven more come in. So to meditate is to, is to chew on God's word. You know, like gum? You know sometimes that gum that is really cheap when you chew on it and like the flavor is gone, you spit it out? But God's word is like gum you chew and you're like, this is good. A week later, you're chewing on it, you're like, this is actually better, you know? And, and, it's, and, and, it's, and it's similar to like, you know, like goats and, and cows and, you know, animals that have like four stomachs. This is what David is saying. I chew on your word like card, you know, like, you know, he brings it back up and chews on it and then swallows it back, brings it back, chews on it. That's what David is saying. Actually, if we go to Psalm 1, you don't have to go there. I'll just read it for you. It, it talks about this real well. You can turn there if you want to, or you can just write it down. I can hear pages turning. If you got there, say, God is good. It says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advance of the wicked or stand in the pathway of, with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. He meditates and he meditates on it day and night. And I remember when I first read that, like meditate on God's word day and night. That's impossible for me personally because my attention span is not as long. But when you look at it as you chew on God's word, like what's, a, what's, what's like a scripture that sticks to your mind like right now? Like any of that. To me, the one that came to my mind is give us this day our daily bread. You know, you chew on that. It's like give us this day our daily bread. And you think about daily bread, you know. 
and you just chew on that. And it can just be something small. Or, you know, God is good. That's, that's somewhere in the passage, you know. Um, or be strong in the Lord and be courageous. Like, you chew on that. And that will be perfect in those times in the night where your mind is racing and you can't sleep. You just meditate on God's word. And one thing I learned in those times where your mind is racing and you just can't, you can't focus even though you're trying to meditate on God's word is you are allowing that inner self, that inner person to, to talk to you, like that inner intellect. Sometimes I know uh, Paul David Tripp calls it that inner lawyer. You're letting that inner lawyer talk to you. But rather, because we have the word, I'd rather say, speak to yourself. Remember when David was having a hard time in the book of Psalms where he says, why are you downcast my soul? Why are you downcast? Put your hope and trust in the Lord. So instead of listening to the inner critique that tells you you're not good enough or if you do this, you're going to fail in that, Meditate on God's word and speak to yourself the word of God and ask yourself, why you downcast my soul? And use the word. Like Jesus, when he was tempted, he used the word to combat Satan and his lies. And as David Paul Triple say, fire that inner lawyer in you. <laughs> Moving on to verse 7. Because you are my helper, I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I'm going to cover the shadow of your wings, and I'm going to go back to why David rejoices in this short passage. Under the shadow of your wings, whenever I read under the shadow of your wings, when I was a kid and I was being discipled, I, I thought, like, under the shadow of your wings, when God is flying, you're, like, underneath his wing as he flies. I just didn't know what that meant. But I was talking to my mom because I told my mom I was going to be uh, preaching God's word. And I asked her, what does that mean? And my mom, she's retired and she has a farm. And she was like, well, what that means is like chickens. You know, when, when a hen has chicks, it puts the chicks under the shadow of her wings to protect them. And I was like, oh, so it's not a bird flying and you're like under the, you know, the wings. She's like, no, no, I mean, you're pretty imaginative, Ozzy, but just keep it simple. It's, 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 it's hens that are, you know, like it puts the chicks underneath the shadow of its wings. And how do those chicks feel? They feel protected, they feel cared for, and they feel loved. And whenever they're, you know, they feel the warmth of the mom, you know, they can feel the heartbeat of the mom. And that way, like, they get to know who the mom is, you know. And because the Lord is we're under his shadow of his wings, I kind of feel jealous for John, uh, envious of John, because in the book of First John, uh, he elaborates that he was able to lay his head on Jesus' breast and feel his heartbeat, you know, and to actually feel like he was human. And, like, it gives me that example of, like, if we're so close to the Lord, we're able to, like, feel protected, cared for, and loved. And because of that, all you can do is rejoice because you're cared for, loved, and protected. And to rejoice is to show joy. And 
Moving on to verse 8. It says, I will follow close to you. Your right hand upholds me. Uh, to follow close is to be in union. And this is very reminiscent to uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 to 4, where Adam sees Eve and he says, Whoa, man. You get it? Because, whoa, man. Because. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> don't get me started on my biblical jokes because we can keep going here all day. But uh, so when in Genesis chapter two verses twenty-four, when when Adam saw Eve and said, "Woman," um, it says, "Because of that, a man shall leave his mom and his father." and go cling to his wife. And when David says, I follow close to you, some versions say I cling to you, that's like the same context is, I'm gonna cling to you, Lord. This reminds me of, um, of Jacob, the story of Jacob in Genesis when Jacob pretty much cheated his brother and uh, he was just, he was distraught and he had to go meet his brother like the following day. And he was laying on a rock and he was wrestling with this being and they wrestled all night. And he finally figured out, oh my goodness, I'm actually wrestling with God himself. And when Jacob realized he was wrestling with God, he held on to him. He said, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. And this is what David is saying. I'm gonna cling to you like how Jacob did. I want you to bless me before you let me go. And obviously God, blessed Jacob then and let him and then Jacob let him go and Jesus talks about this um, in John where he says abide in me as I abide in you because without without me you are nothing and that's the same thing is to cling to Jesus to abide in him and him abide in you and if you go to Galatians chapter 5 when you abide in Christ and him in you, you start to bear fruit. And while the fruit, fruit of the Holy Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, you start to get these. And when you're in a wilderness state and you abide in Christ, that's all you need because when you abide in him, you bear fruit. And in times of wilderness, there are times where you're being pruned. And have you ever seen a tree that has been pruned? It looks horrible. It looks horrendous. My mom showed me a picture of one of the trees that she's pruning back in Uganda, and I thought that thing was dead. But then my mom said, I'll send you a picture again next year, and it will bear way more fruit than it did before it was pruned. And sometimes you go through a wilderness stage like this because sometimes God is just pruning you, and sometimes you don't see the fruit yet. But the good thing about being pruned is your, your roots are going deep and wide. And in Psalm 1, it talks about when those winds come blowing because your roots are being deep and wide, you're not being blown away. All you're doing is just going back and forth. And then you're seeing the other tree that is being blown away. It's like, you should have abided in the Lord, you know, because it's being blown away. But because you put your faith and your abiding in Christ, your roots have gone deep and wide. And that because of that, you're able to bear fruit. And 
David goes on to say, your right hand holds on to me. David, as I illustrated before, David was just a character. Um, he was a man of battle. He actually wanted to build a temple uh, because he really wanted to, to experience God's glory and build a temple. But Nathan, the prophet Nathan told David, I, I'm, you're not going to build a temple. And David was like, why? David And Nathan told David, you're a man of, of blood. You have blood in your hands because David conquered a lot so that Israel could be one nation. So because of that, David could not build a temple. But David, being a man of combat, he knew the right hand was, it showed authority and power because the king held his sword with his right hand. And whenever you saw the king raise his sword with his right hand, you knew you were going to war, or you knew you had victory, or you knew you were protected. So when David says, your right hand upholds me, you know, like when a kid, uh, when a father's holding their child with their right hand, that means like dad's hand of power, of might, of, of respect, of who he is, is upholding me. And Psalm, uh, the book of Psalm 73 talks about this, where it says, your right hand upholds me. Because I was slipping, your right hand upholded me. And David is just so glad that is God's right hand upholds him. So, in verses 9 till 11, still demonstrates, even though you're in your wilderness times, you still have struggles that you're going through. So just wrap it up. Verses 9 to 11 says, But those who intend to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the power of the sword. They will become a meal for jackals. But the king will rejoice in the Lord. All who swear by him will boast, for the mouths of liars will be shut. So in essence, how David wraps this up is, I have sought the Lord. I have found him. I'm giving him praise and glory. Everything else that I'm dealing with, Lord, deal with it because the battle belongs to the Lord. So I have little like joke points. If you're taking notes, I'm going to be kind of slow so you can catch all this and kind of break down step by step whenever you're going through a time of drought and a wilderness season like I am. Sometimes it can be a year, sometimes two years, sometimes three months, a month, a week. I don't know. Every, every person is different. Psalm 63 teaches us how to do that. So first, verse 1, acknowledge God is God. Take away all the idols in yourself and make him throne and seek him eagerly. Verse 2. When you find him, after you've, seen, you've sought him eagerly, see his strength and gaze upon his beauty. Verse 3, glorify God for his loving kindness or grace towards you. Verse 4, worship God with a heart of absolute surrender and humility. Verse 5, be, sa be satisfied in God's love and Praise him for it. Verse 6. Meditate on God's word. Talk to yourself using God's word. And fire that inner lawyer in you. 
Verse 7, you are protected, cared for, and loved. Rejoice in this. Verse 8, walk with the Lord. His right hand will hold you up. So I'm going to reread Psalm 63, verses 1 till 8. You can close your eyes and just meditate on this. And if you're in a wilderness stage, I just pray that the Holy Spirit was able to minister to you in this. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you as I lay on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. I'll rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I'll follow close to you. Your right hand upholds on to me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. As Jeremiah um, did the devotion today, doctrine, the word of God is doctrine. Whenever we go through wilderness stages that can lead us to spiral down into sometimes the darkest nights of the soul, your word is a lamp unto our feet, Father. I pray, Lord, that your word will be written in our hearts, that you'll help us bring it back to memory whenever we're going through a tough time, that we won't hear our inner self, but we'll talk to ourselves using the word of God, that we'll meditate on it day and night. Father, I care a lot about the people who are in this room. They all have wilderness spurts that they go through. I don't know what causes them, but Father, I just pray that they will seek you eagerly and earnestly to find you. And I also pray, Father, that we will be like the Bereans in the book of Acts, that we will search the scriptures for ourselves. So when we come here, Father, we have already done our homework. All this is is just we're doing the lab, you know, which is the fun part. We're just having fellowship with one another because we're all engaged. We all know what the word says, and now we're just eager to learn more. And I pray that for each and every one in here that you will show them how to seek you, that you you will put a hunger in their souls, Lord, to, to, to just seek your face, Father. We thank you. Just be with each and every one of them in here. We love you, Lord. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.